Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky and I'm the Deputy Director here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. And welcome to December, folks. Uh, it's going to be uh, quite a winter. We have our full panel with us, which means Claire Zauke, our Healthcare Director, is with us. Claire, it is so good to have you with us. <laughs> Thanks. It's good to be back. We have a lot of healthcare to talk about in COVID. This doesn't go away, so it'll, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on a number of things. Uh, and Robert Craig is with us, our executive director. Robert, also very good to see you. Good day to our um, digital and radio audiences, and I hope everyone's being safe out there. That's right, folks. Uh, it is uh, continues to be a hotbed here. Uh, some of the numbers seem to be down a little bit on our COVID numbers, but not really when you look at the death rates. It is still remains super red, super intense, and likewise throughout the country. Um, and so we're gonna we're gonna talk more about COVID, uh, both uh, some stuff news on the vaccine front, also the um, <clears throat> Assembly Republicans this week uh, introduced a pretty shameful uh, bill. We'll talk more about that, but we are gonna start talking uh, about the election because it it's it's we know it's over uh but the big news this week is uh donald trump and his campaign uh indeed uh followed through with its uh threats to uh pursue legal action with the wisconsin state supreme court um we all know it's ridiculous we'll talk more about that but then it also is playing out and we're continuing to see uh it is very rare to see republicans that are speaking out against this still remains, uh, they remain in the minority. And we even saw this play out on our Wisconsin Election Commission uh, with the behavior of Bob Spindell and Dean Knudsen this week, uh, calling uh, Dean Knudsen even calling for Ann Jacobs, the chair, um, for her to uh, resign, which is absurd. Um, Claire, I want to get your thoughts on this. Uh, We've actually talked about, shockingly, have talked about the election commission a ton. Actually, had Mark Thompson on a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Ann Jacobs is a phenomenal uh, commissioner and has showed uh, amazing leadership. This is uh, pretty amazing from from the Republicans and their behavior on the election commission. Your thoughts, Claire? It feels unimaginably undemocratic, even for our state Supreme Court to throw out hundreds of thousands of votes that were almost exactly in the same format as the like the same votes that that were cast for the Supreme Court justices themselves, right? I mean, it just um, it feels unimaginable to me that this uh, lawsuit from um, outgoing President Trump um, to try to get rid of all of these Milwaukee and Dane County votes um, could be taken seriously by our Supreme Court. Now, I know there's many people who are listening who are like, but our Supreme Court is the worst and they make terrible undemocratic decisions all the time. Um, and I think that's true, um, but I, I am hopeful. <laughs> I acknowledge your fears, they are valid, um, but I am still hopeful that this election is actually done and that there, there is no, um, there is no reason why the state supreme court would take it seriously, um, and that they will hopefully understand the lasting um, effect that uh, supporting the lawsuit would have on Wisconsin's uh, democratic process, including for their own races. Robert, your thoughts? Well, I mean, obviously, the whole thing is outrageous, and we're changing. Uh, Wisconsin election law, that's what they're seeking, 
and practice after the vote to disenfranchise people who followed all the rules and to do it only in the two largest counties that are the most democratic and overall where a, a huge majority of the black and brown people in Wisconsin live. In other words, the ballots that allegedly violate the law, as they claim, that occur in other Trump counties will still count, according to this lawsuit. The whole thing's ridiculous. What is, there are a lot of people stunned, completely stunned, that something like this could happen because this navigation of democracy. This is the legislature, if it's Republican, and it's Republican because of gerrymandered districts, can decide who, the, who gets Wisconsin's electoral votes. That's what they're saying. It's a power grab, pure and simple. It's probably a bridge too far for our state Supreme Court. At least one of the conservatives, Justice Hagedorn, seems to require some legal basis for his decisions. The others, I mean, Patience Rogensack, the, the, the alleged chief justice, I can't really say that. But even if they did it, it wouldn't swing the national result, and it would probably fuel the fire for getting rid of the Electoral College, because this would mean that Republican legislatures would vote for the Republican period, no matter what, in every election. That'd be the precedent. But I just want to caution people, uh, the peop uh, particularly the media that is acting like uh, this is all new, They've been disenfranchising people as a strategy since the 1970s, and it really picked up in the last decade. And the neo-Jim Crow voter suppression rules under Walker and the legislature were about disenfranchisement. And it's shocking that all of a sudden they'd also disenfranchise a whole bunch of middle-class white people that voted for Biden. But they've been doing this to low-income people and people of color all along. And those who didn't scream and yell loud enough then uh, this is very much along the lines, if you allow anyone's people, any one, per one group of people's rights to be violated, no matter how powerless or where they are in the hierarchy or the caste system of our society, then your rights are at risk. And the whole country should understand that we have a Republican Party now dominated by a right-wing radical conservatism that doesn't think it can rule with majority rule, has already, and is fighting tooth and nail to uh, try to make uh, someone president who just lost by over 6 million votes nationally. Look, I, what I find most disturbing about all this is the behavior of other Republicans, right, who, who should know better, like who used to behave by and under these rules, obviously Dean Knudsen. Uh, our U.S. Senator Ron Johnson is worth calling out again this week because he's been one of the worst. He's been... He's been trading in conspiracy theories right up there with Trump. Uh, and it was announced this week that he actually, in a conversation on November 14th with former Brown County Republican Party chair, uh, Mark Becker, openly admitted that he knows Biden won the presidential election, but he's going public with these, all of this, this nonsense because he admits, he thinks it's political suicide not to. Just him admitting, right? That it that you cannot go against that Trump base anymore. 
or Trump, right? You tell me how you separate the two right now. And Trump doesn't appear to be interested in separating it right now. It looks like he's busy planning as he seems to, if he comes to accept his defeat, his 2024. And this is disturbing that you have uh, folks like Knutson and other Republicans. Nobody, not only folks not speaking up, but Knutson actually and these folks actually going along as Trump lackeys, uh, you know, on the election commission. It's just, it's disturbing. Um, uh, and, and of course, you had the, the Georgia, the Georgia person commenting, uh, election official, really highlighting all this, even though the gentleman admits he's still going to vote for the Republican senators. Anyways, Robert, you had some more comments. Right. And the Trump lawyer suggesting that um, the, uh, the the Homeland Security person who said that who, who secured the election and said it was a very secure election should be shot. Uh, but I just want to say I agree with you. They're afraid of this base. It is important to understand this base is not is it, it's a base Trump has taken over. Trump did not create this base. He enhanced it and he supercharged it. The far right and the Koch brothers and all of the billionaires have been building this base forever. It's the only way uh, to you need a revved up base like this on a whole bunch of non-economic issues in order to shift resources, huge economic resources only to the top 0.1 percent. And if Trump goes away, if uh, you know he doesn't plan to go away, he plans to apparently announce for re-election for election in 2024. But if he goes away, other Republican demagogues who can go after that base will emerge and will dominate this party. So this is a this is going to be a permanent feature of the American political system for a while now. Oh yeah, sobering thought, but it is definitely. Uh, seems clear to us. We've been t- <laughs> certainly talking about it and being fairly uh, eyes wide open about what Trump has done and how he's transformed the Republican Party. Uh, with that, though, we're going to go to break a little bit early because um, when we come back, we're going to jump right into talking about uh, COVID-19, talking about uh, vaccine news. But we got to talk about, uh, look, basically still virtually no action here in the state. Uh, we have Republicans uh, in the assembly introducing uh, an awful uh, bill that does ve- has very little relief, a whole lot of pain, a whole lot of division. Uh, don't even have agreement, it appears, with their Senate. We are going to talk more. Uh, Claire, after the break, going to come to you. Uh, definitely want to get your thoughts about the, the vaccine news and any, any thoughts you may have around that. Uh, But with that, we're going to take a break. You're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. Again, we're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. We are going to talk about COVID and how COVID is playing out here in Wisconsin. But before we do that, Claire, I wanted to get your thoughts on the vaccine news this week, the UK first to approve and approve under what would be similar scientific uh, rigor uh, is here, a, a vaccine. And we just wanted to get your thoughts on that and as it relates to you know the timeline, because it appears vaccine is, is the hope to potentially uh, change some of uh, where we're at, Claire. Yeah, I think it's exciting news, certainly. Um, uh, I think the UK companies, what, AstraZeneca, um, and then there's the two uh, American companies, Pfizer and Moderna, um, that are uh, soon to be or in the process of seeking emergency approval for their vaccines. 
uh, <clears throat> I, I'm trying to be uh, cautiously optimistic about uh, the quality and um, efficacy of, of these vaccines. I, I don't really have any reason to doubt, and, and I know there's been a lot of fear around uh, the vaccines, especially given uh, Trump's politicization of the vaccines and a loose oversight of the vaccine development process. Um, I think it is promising that uh, a company in the UK has using very similar uh, processes uh, to the companies in the US produced a very similar vaccine with very similar results. Um, I think that is extremely promising and shows that um, these drug companies were uh, maybe not working together, um, but at least following similar processes. And so uh, gives me a little bit more faith in uh, that these companies' ability to sort of withstand too much pressure from the Trump administration to produce a, a low-quality drug quickly. Um, I also think that um, as we um, is that as we think about taking the vaccine, that we have measured expectations about um, what it will produce. I, I think we don't really know yet. For example. Um, if it'll be sort of an annual vaccine or a lifetime vaccine, if it's something you'll need boosters for in a few months or a few years. And I think so having measured expectations about, you know, what we'll need to do in the future to stay up to date with this vaccine is important. Uh, and then I, now that we know the vaccines will be here, everybody's turning their attention, of course, to distribution. And that's going to be the next, the next big hurdle that we have to talk about. I don't want to throw any cold water, but I would point out that a number of the other EU countries think that Britain is acting too quickly. Uh, so at least we won't be the first. So, I mean, I don't want anyone to be harmed in Great Britain, but Great Britain is going to be the guinea pig. And that's the other Western country, uh, advanced industrial country with a right-wing nationalist leader. This would be Boris Johnson. Um, it does appear that the FDA is holding up to an independent review process, despite the fact that uh, Secretary Hahn, uh, the, the, the leader of, 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 the, of the FDA, was called into the White House and demanded that they streamline it and, and just approve it right away. That's disastrous because then that leads to lack of confidence in the vaccine. I think it's positive that people like President Obama have offered to, uh, to take it you know, live so people can see them getting the vaccination, but that requires it go through the, the full FDA process. We've already cut the timeline for checking on side effects from the usual over a year to two months. We have to do that two months. And that, 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 that couple weeks involved in delay are going to be much less of a difference than having a failed vaccine. It needs to be understood that the swine flu vaccine that President Ford rushed as an election issue ended up having very bad side effects for a small number of people, but they were bad enough that they actually killed a lot of people. In other words, something that affects a very tiny slice of the population, but badly, if you give it to 200 million people, is going to, is going to kill a lot of people. So it's very different than testing a drug that only goes to sick people. This is something, a vaccine that goes to absolutely everyone, and you have to get really granular about what impact it might have on very small populations with very distinct pre-existing conditions. 
before we switch topics, I do want to give a shout out to um, a number of labor unions. My wife was on a call last night, a national call with CDC doctors and uh, leaders uh, in infectious disease planning and making sure that workers are deeply involved in how this rolls out, how decisions are made around uh, the vaccine, uh, vaccinating uh, workers. Uh, and so just so you know, it's not a shocker. Uh, the civil servants, the workers, right, the healthcare professionals, they are working hard on this and um, it continues to be sort of the heroes in all of this in terms of the planning uh, to make sure that this happens safely. But uh, both of you raise really legitimate uh, issues that we need to be cautious about that. Uh, Robert, it sounds like you another, have more comment. Another worry on distribution, there's a lot of happy talk about giving the state's discretion as to who to prioritize. I don't like that at all. There should be very strong, nat we, we lack a national strategy and uh, the idea that, that somehow state politics is pure and they know better who really needs it versus who has power to get it. I don't see frontline workers like, like educators and uh, workers in meatpacking plants getting it first if you, if you leave it to both states. And so that, that concerns me, but it also means that we have an activist role to make sure in Wisconsin that it goes first and foremost to the to, to the healthcare providers in, in acute care and long-term care, and then to the most vulnerable frontline workers. And you can bet your bottom dollar when Robin Voss wants to force teachers back into buildings, he doesn't want to prioritize them on the vaccine because they're right, no anti-teacher, anti-education. Robert, there's the segue to our next topic. Claire, I want to get your thoughts. We've heard Robert's first shot across the bow, but we had a uh, major, uh, major for them. It's the first time in seven months we'd seen anything out of the legislature. But this week, the Assembly Republicans introduced a, I'll use uh, uh, air quotes, a relief package for COVID. Uh, there was some there was some stuff in there that Governor Evers had wanted around contact tracing, continuing to have free uh, testing um, and things, but it all came with huge poison pills, particularly the things that do exactly the opposite of protecting the public health. Claire, uh, your thoughts on this, uh, this bill introduced by the uh, Assembly Republicans. Uh, before we do that, I want to respond to Robert's distribution comments. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. I, no, just because I think, look, I'm not actually super concerned about all the stupid things that Alex Azar is saying right now about distribution. He said, oh, we're going to give it to states according to size and let states decide. Look, by the time we have enough FDA approved vaccine from more than one company to distribute on a national level. Biden's going to be president and hopefully we'll have somebody um, who will actually make better decisions about how we'll distribute things. So I'm not going to start worrying about that until at least January when um, Biden is president. So um, I think Robert's point is well taken. I would also say I'm not putting a lot of weight and credence into what Trump officials are saying about how they would distribute because they're not going to be around. Okay, about the Republican um, bill. Um, this to me is, it's like the ultimate political grandstanding, right? Because we're like, oh, oh, look, you said we, you said we didn't do anything. Boom, here, something in your face. And, and just they, like, they prove they don't want to do anything. <laughs> right. Like, it's just, it, it's, it's spiteful <laughs> almost, right? It's, um, 
<laughs> it's just so bad. Um, you know, the bare minimum things you talked about, things like putting money into contact tracing, you know, it's almost like, um, it's almost like lip service. It's like, oh, you want this? You want this so bad? Well, how about you are forced to take all of these poison pills in order to get this thing that you claim will save lives? How bad do you really want it? I mean, it's just, it's so horrible. Um, and there are, there are things in there that um, would just, if adopted, for just taking about uh, public education, since Robert brought up public education, right, that would decimate already struggling school districts, right? Because if they were to choose to stay virtual, they would have to do some form of payment, maybe even cash payments to uh, for hundreds of dollars to each, each child's family. Um, they would have a huge administrative burden of having to every couple of weeks come in and re-vote to stay virtual. I mean, it's just, it's possible, the, the voting, it's just petty. The cash payments, however, are not necessarily possible for school districts. And a lot of school districts, um, I know Milwaukee Public Schools, for example, has already put thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars into giving every single child, tens of thousands of children in the school district, Chromebooks so that they could have virtual learning without the financial burden on their parents to have to provide a computer in the home, right? So schools are already financially invested in virtual learning without this extra burden of payments. With that, we're going to take a break. Robert, when we come back, we're going to go right to you. We're going to, we're going to continue to talk more about this because it's, it's huge, right? Like they've been gone seven months and this is their first entree back because it speaks to like, were there lessons learned from the election? Are there going to be any changes? Doesn't appear much, but you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin with Citizen Action. Welcome back. We are talking about one of the most ridiculous, awful, petty, you used that word, that, that was great, Claire, petty bills the Republicans in the Assembly have introduced around their COVID relief. Uh, Robert, want to get your thoughts and comments? Yeah, I used the word adolescent. It shows a lack of seriousness about the greatest public health crisis in over a century. And it shows that Republicans are not a governing party. They're a power party and they're a throw bombs party. And this is what a lot of mainline Republicans said when this new kind of radical conservatives start taking over the party in the 70s. These people don't care about governing. That's what outgoing uh, House Majority Leader Bob Michael, Robert Michael from Illinois said in the 70s when he was retiring just ahead of the Gingrich Revolution. And here it is. It reminds me of an adolescent who a parent forces to clean their room and they clean their room in an aggressive way and throw things around and break things. Now, there, you satisfied, Dad? Right, that's what it's like. And the way it takes pot shots at their enemies, it's gonna make state employees and teachers go and teach in person, whether it's safe or not. It's going to defund schools rather than addressing the fact that they're in a funding crisis because of a pandemic, right? Fine if you want to give uh, money to, to, to parents uh, in order to afford virtual learning. You should take it out of state revenue, not out of school revenue, uh, hard strap school revenue. Uh, so the whole thing is outrageous. There are a few little things that sound good, but it, it's all posed to try to make it look like he's doing something. And then when uh, Governor Evers doesn't 
accept that he'll be attacked for standing in the way, the way Pelosi is for standing in the way of, um, of, of McConnell's bogus plans that aren't serious, that uh, include a demand from McConnell that we insulate all employers and corporations from any liability for, uh, for being unsafe during a pandemic, which is just stunning, stunning. And that is the demand still of Mitch McConnell. But it's just like baby Mitch McConnell here, not as effective, uh, certainly not as brilliant a legislator, just the, the kind of the, the single A version, to use a baseball metaphor. So uh, I also wanted to point out uh, Christina Shelton. Uh, some amazing comments immediately got into uh, Up North News. We'll have a link to it, but just really pushing back. And it shows the importance of, you know, elections, right? Uh, she is a uh, president of the school board and was able to precisely talk about just how awful this, this bill is and how it would impact a local school board and how they've been put on the front line right now because the state and the feds have completely punted their responsibility to public health. And then to have a uh, something like this, it's like gaslighting people that you've already uh, sort of thrown out there on the front lines to deal with this and then say you're going to cut their funding, especially the ones that are doing the right and public health things here. It's just, it's appalling. Uh, unfortunately, this is the good side. The Senate doesn't even want to do this. Like they want less. They think this is too much resources. So we'll see, Robert, whether Evers even feels any pressure on this. I'm not, I don't even, I don't even think the Republicans uh, can get this to his desk. But anyways, we're going to continue to talk about this because of course it's huge and there's so much need. We have so much need. We're about to lose federal money. And then we have this dog come out this week. It's just, it's appalling. And, you know, both of you, uh, I think really encapsulated how bad it is. With that, we want to uh, get people to focus some attention on what's coming ahead, right? We've got a state budget coming up. We've talked a little bit about this on previous podcasts, but we want to spend a little bit more time talking about this because the dynamic this year is, and, and every year it's a little unique. You know, the state budget operates a little different, but this year what's really important for us as progressives is going to be Governor Evers' budget. And the governor statutorily is obligated to uh, present that budget on January 26th. You might get an extension, but you know, given <laughs> what we've seen on the relationship, we don't expect that to happen. So by January 26th, the governor is going to put out his budget and that's going to be sort of, you know, where we go from. And so it's really important what's in the governor's budget. So I wanted uh, to give Robert and Claire some time to talk about some of the important things that we really think are critical to be in there. It starts with Badger Care Public Option, right? We think this is absolutely fundamental in terms of getting this into the budget and having this as an opportunity. And we've already talked about Biden, and Biden's going to have a similar public option that he'll be hopefully pushing on the federal level. But Claire, I wanted to kick it to you because obviously there's a number of things in healthcare uh, that are really important in this budget and wanted to get your, your, your thoughts and, and what folks ought to be considering when they reach out to the governor's office. And we'll have links to how you can uh, submit uh, written comment if you can't make any of the listening sessions. Claire? Yeah, so we assume that Governor Evers will have Badger Care expansion in his budget. It was a key part of the governor's last budget, 
um, although it was taken out by the Republican-led Joint Finance Committee. Um, so, so we are talking about the fact that we still support that and we want everybody to show that they still support that so that nobody can claim that enthusiasm for expansion has waned. Um, but our strategy is don't, don't settle for what we know is going to be in there, even though it's good. Um, let's come from a position of strength and push for something that could be even better so that um, if it doesn't work out, at least we still get the good thing. Um, and that even better thing that we're pushing for is a Badger Care public option, which would allow people to purchase their health coverage through Badger Care Plus the same way you could right now purchase your health insurance through a private insurance company on the marketplace. And uh, this would be a critical um, step forward for the affordability and quality of health coverage in Wisconsin, especially for people who don't have employer-sponsored coverage. Um, and this is in part because uh, BadgerCare, BadgerCare Plus's full name um, in Wisconsin has such low uh, cost sharing, meaning that um, aside from your premiums, um, there are not really expensive um, deductibles and expensive co-pays. So um, allowing folks to have equal or less expensive premiums for much, much higher quality coverage if they buy through BadgerCare. And this is something that is totally financially, fiscally feasible for the state to administer because most, the vast majority of the costs for administering this program would just be covered by um, the cost of premiums for people buying into the program. And the state already has um, an infrastructure set up to administer BadgerCare. So it would not take that much more to, to build out this program. So this is, is probably the most, um, uh, um, the most aspirational, I'll say, um, thing that we are asking for in the in the state budget. Claire, and I want to add a couple things for our listeners when you're reaching out to the governor's office and other state legislators to make sure that they understand this needs to be a priority. So, so many people have lost access to healthcare this year. I mean, it's historic numbers because of COVID. This is so, this is desperately needed. Claire laid out, like, from a fiscal standpoint, it makes amazing sense, uh, but just how important it's needed. And also, there is new data out, new polling that's coming out in-state that shows it's wildly popular, 78% support for BadgerCare public option. Folks, make sure you reach out to Governor Evers. Robert, your thoughts on some key budget priorities? So, Matt, Claire just talked about uh, some of our health care budget priorities at Citizen Action of Wisconsin. Uh, our newer program, though it's becoming quite robust, is on climate and equity or Green New Deal. And so we've been doing a lot of local work there in Milwaukee and now in rural and, and small cities as well uh, and building a base around it. Uh, this is less traditionally of a state budget issue than health care. Health care is traditionally one of the biggest state budget issues, and, and Medicaid includes a bunch of state money or money that comes through the state through the, for the, from the federal government. Uh, but we think there are a number of interim steps that uh, the state could take and that Governor Evers could take in his budget around really generating 
a strong Green New Deal plans around the state of Wisconsin that are ready for massive investments, hopefully, because uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris ran on the most progressive, the most aggressive climate platform ever for a prep for an American president. And it's quite and, uh, and there'd be a lot of money for, for, for local local initiatives. Uh, one is if you're going to actually meet the standards, that is, you're going to actually cut the, the, the uh, requirement is that we actually cut emissions, greenhouse emissions by 45 percent by 2030, which requires a huge transition. Then you need what are called climate action plans, which look at what current emissions are and develop a strategy for reducing it systematically over the next used to be 10 years. Now we have nine years to do this or it's cataclysmic. And so a number of, of, of cities are um, moving or working on climate action plans. It would be great to have state funding and state support for doing that. Milwaukee is doing it. Green Bay is doing it. Eau Claire is doing it. Madison and Dane County are doing it, uh, et cetera. And with that, we got to go to commercials. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizens in Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. Robert, I had to cut you off. You were just talking about some key priorities around climate and Green New Deal in the state budget. Uh, so I talked about supporting local climate action plans. I think there needs to be state funding for our transitional jobs programs. And to, and to use those, those are publicly subsidized jobs programs that train up robustly those people who are locked out of the economy. A lot of those are, are people of color that are living in poverty, formerly incarcerated people, many, many other people, and preparing them for major jobs in the, in the growing energy conservation re- renewable energy economy and becoming the employer of last resort. This is what Senator Tammy Baldwin has been pushing hard for at the national level with a number of other U.S. senators. Uh, this is the only way to make sure a climate transition actually creates more economic equity and racial equity, actually employs people locked out of the economy right now. Otherwise, the benefits of the new jobs will go mostly to people already in a position uh, to, to take advantage. Um, I will, I'll stop at those two. I think Claire wants to do a few more health care, and then I will, I will, if we have time, talk about a couple other climate initiatives we have. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Um, I would love to, in particular, pitch uh, one other idea uh, for the state budget that we have been um, talking to the governor's office about, and that is the idea of a prescription drug affordability board. And this is something that we also talked a lot about in the fall election in state legislative races because we heard from a lot of people that uh, Wisconsinites are worried about the cost of prescription drugs. And there's not a lot that states can do to, there's nothing actually that states can do to regulate uh, prices of prescription drugs because all of that at the federal level. But uh, what we can do here in the state is put caps on how much people should have to pay out of their own pockets for expensive drugs. And what the state legislature has been taking up in recent years has been these sort of one-off bills like insulin um, cost caps. But if we were to establish a prescription drug affordability board, then the board could evaluate high um, drug prices and set limits if they're if 
uh, on how much people would have to pay out of pocket if a specific drug was found to be uh, a price gouging or um, have had an excessive um, increase in price year over year. And so uh, we would love for the governor to put into his proposed budget the creation of a prescription drug affordability board. Again, it would be, it's really uh, fiscally viable. It would only take a few extra uh, staff people to help create the board. And um, so, so when you write to the governor, when you call the governor's office, um, make sure you say, you know, Governor Evers in your budget, it's really important that you that you tackle prescription drug affordability and the best way you can do that is with a prescription drug affordability board. What Claire talks about is a no-brainer. This absolutely needs to be in Governor Evers' budget. It's super pragmatic and fiscally smart as Claire brought up. It's also extremely popular. 86% of Wisconsinites support this in a, in a new poll that just came out this past month. So really put some pressure on that. Robert, you had some more stuff that we wanted to talk about particularly around the Green New Deal? This is around climate and energy. Uh, we've done a lot of work around uh, utility cutoffs in a pandemic. And our new organizing co-op, our chapter system, Northside Rising, an African-American-centered co-op in Milwaukee, was successful in delaying the cutoff line until finally it was moved into the winter when they can't cut off until the spring. Problem is, you have all sorts of low-income folks who have run up big utility debts because they have no money during a pandemic and there's been inadequate relief and the legislature has been taking a vacation uh, for since April, uh, a, a taxpayer paid vacation. They're gonna have huge bills they can't pay in the spring. So we should be forgiving that debt and that should be in the budget. That will cause a lot of problems for folks who are already stressed and then as far as our friends, the for-profit utilities, who I say that in quotes, who we've given uh, monopolies on a, on a very profitable business in uh, every area of the state of Wisconsin other than ones that are governed by rural electric co-ops, what are the main ways we can finance a big solar energy conversion and, and, a, and energy conservation that would reduce greenhouse emissions? Both of these would have a huge impact is what's called on-bill financing, which sounds technical, but what it means is, since these investments, putting solar panels on a house, making it much more energy efficient, pay for themselves over time. All you need is a financing mechanism. And utilities in, in states that are further along have on-bill financing where they pay for your upgrades and they put it in the utility bill, but utility bill goes down anyway because of the savings. And it stays with the house. They're, of course, not doing it in Wisconsin. Why? Because they want to sell coal power and they want to create a, and therefore they do not care about future generations. They should be forced. It should be in the state budget. It is far more effective than bank loans or any other method. And we could use it as a great job creator because then we need a ton of people to do all the energy conservation upgrades, insulation, windows, everything else that's involved. Um, and then also to, uh, to, to, to put on solar panels, and that's where the training program, especially for people locked out of the economy through a transitional jobs program comes in. And then finally, people don't know this, but you know, all sorts of special interests dominate the state. One of them is the builders who have gotten into state law that no city can have higher building standards than the state standards. 
So you wonder why doesn't the city of Milwaukee or Eau Claire require all new construction be solar? Because they can't. So that is our fifth uh, uh, demand. Governor Evert says he wants to meet the climate targets. I take him at his word. Taking on these sort of interests, it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. You might have to actually, yeah, what we would do is say that a city or uh, any kind of uh, municipal government could go above state building standards if the standard was designed to reduce greenhouse emissions. You'd need some, a little bit of state support in order to regulate that and make sure it wasn't abused because local developers would try to use that to do other things. There's no doubt. Uh, but I've, if, But frankly, it's a no-brainer. Claire, I'm going to go to you because we're, we're getting close to the end of the show. Robert, I'm going to come back to you because I want one more state budget thing around Foxconn from you. Um, but Claire, can you uh, let our listeners know about a really important annual meeting, membership meeting we're having on Saturday? So hopefully you're listening to this Friday or maybe you're listening to it early Saturday because it's Saturday, 10 o'clock. Tell our listeners a quick little bit more about it. Yeah, so our Citizen Action of Wisconsin annual member meeting is this Saturday from 10 a.m. to noon, and it is going to be virtual, obviously, um, but that is also a really exciting opportunity because it means that folks from all over the state can enjoy the super fun of our meeting from the comfort of their living rooms or home offices. Um, it's going to be a great uh, show. We are going to hand out some um, awards to members who have been really active this year. Um, we are going to have some surprise guest speakers, um, newly elected uh, officials to the legislature who are going to talk about their priorities in the coming year and what their relationship with Citizen Action has meant to them. And you will get um, all kinds of great information about what Citizen Action accomplished in 2020 and what we're looking forward to doing in 2021. So. This is, this is your time and your opportunity to get a download on what all of our work is and uh, how, how everything's going and how you can plug in. So folks, again, that is our annual membership meeting. Want you to join. I am also going to put a link and remind you, you should become a member. You should become a member of Citizen Action. We really encourage you to become a member of one of our organizing co-ops. We'll have a link for you to join. Please join and get into our membership meeting. Hear about all the amazing things done around the state uh, in the organizing co-op. So join Citizen Action and attend our annual meeting. Thank you, Claire. Robert, you're going to take us out. We're going back to the state budget because like we're all about getting cheat done. And next year's budget's really important. Uh, you had some information you wanted the listeners to know about Foxconn in the budget before we roll on out. Uh, just a little update on Foxconn, the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, Remember, we opposed it right out of the gate, and what we said and what I said waiting to speak at the end of the hearing was not as bad as it was going to be, and every prominent business leader and education leader that you've heard of in this state at the time lined up and testified in favor of it and talked about it was going to be, my goodness, it was going to be unbelievable. It was going to transform Wisconsin. It was a great $3 billion investment. That doesn't count the Didn't nearly billion the dollar investment. Oh, it didn't come with the monorail. There you go. Sorry. The, the huge investment that Racine County and the village of Mount Pleasant made. Well, they've created 280 jobs, and they're not following the plan they proposed. Uh, the state budget had to say, what are we proposing the next two years as far as a budget for the tax credits? And the, I, the answer is zero, because they're not going to meet 
any of the standards in the ridiculously easy contract they negotiated with Scott Walker, who just wanted something to run for re-election on, and Donald Trump, who said it was going to make Wisconsin bloom and make Wisconsin a mecca. Uh, and, and, of course, Donald Trump is now on his way out as well. So just remember the next time you, you turn to a newspaper and you see the uh, heads of the Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce or the, uh, or the NFIB or the Milwaukee Metropolitan Area of Commerce or all of the smaller chambers around the state, La Crosse, Eau Claire, that their leaders stood up and said this was a great investment. And guess what? We've already spent $280 million that we're not going to get back. And local government's going to go bankrupt and recede over this. And with that, folks, we have got to wrap up this Battleground Wisconsin podcast. I feel like our producer should be playing the Thompson Twins lies, lies, lies as we go out. Because, man, that's the world we're living in in this state and in this country with that opposition party. With that, we're wrapping up the Battleground Wisconsin. Thank you, Brian Wilbridge, our producer who makes it happen every week. We'll see you next week here at Citizen Action of Wisconsin.